the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You ten dollars off your. The following program is sponsored by Truth Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth from Philip DeCourcy. Don't spend your Christian life in the shallow end of the pool. Don't settle for little grace. Is Jesus forming in your life? Has he affected your words, your thoughts, your dress, the spending of your money, the way you raise your family? Tell me, is he affecting any of that? He ought to, because you should never settle for little grace. Welcome to Know the Truth. Today, pastor and Bible teacher Philip DeCourcy explains that when it comes to God Almighty, our biggest thoughts pale in comparison to His limitless proportions. But the longer we walk with God and the more we study His Word, the more we'll come to marvel at His power and love. And that helps put our life in focus. You can catch up on previous broadcasts in this series online at ktt.org. But right now, let's join Philip DeCourcy for today's message. At the 2013 commencement speech at MIT, Drew Houston, the founder of Dropbox, said this to the graduating class. When I think about it, the happiest and most successful people I know don't just love what they do. They're obsessed with solving an important problem, something that matters to them. They remind me of a dog chasing a tennis ball. Their eyes get a little crazy. The leash snaps, and they go bounding off, plowing through whatever gets in their way. So it's not about pushing yourself. It's about finding your tennis ball, the thing that pulls you through. And that's a good perspective. That's a good word to the graduating class of MIT in 2013. Find the thing that captures your imagination, captures your heart, and pulls you rather than pushes you through life. See, it's better to get pulled through life, captivated by a worthy goal or pursuit, than to get pushed through life simply by necessity or a herd mentality. In fact, I would suggest you, as we turn to God's Word, that the Christian, the follower of Jesus Christ, is a person who is pulled through life rather than pushed through life. Because God's people, Christian people, are pulled through life by the captivating power and person of Jesus Christ. There came a day in each of our lives when we were captured by the beauty and the power of Jesus Christ, and we were pulled forward in pursuit of Him, in following Him. If I might put it this way, Jesus is our tennis ball, and we're chasing Him. And we're pushing everything out of the way that gets in the way of us knowing Him some more. We get a little crazy in our eyes when it comes to Jesus Christ. 
And in fact, if you want to see this worked out, then come with me to Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. Because here Paul is telling us he's being pulled through life. There came a time in his life, as he tells us in verses 1 through 11, where he came to encounter the living Christ, the one he had rejected, the people of Christ whom he had persecuted. He had come to see that Jesus was indeed the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Jesus was God's son. Jesus was virgin born. Jesus was a miracle worker. Jesus was God in human flesh. Jesus died on the cross for our sin. Jesus conquered death and rose again. Jesus is to heaven at the right hand of God to pray for those that pray to him. Paul came to see that. He was captured by that. He tells us then it comes to this point in his life where everything else doesn't matter. He counts it all loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And he was captured by the beauty of Jesus and that pulled him. Up until that point, he was pushed by Jewish legalism. Now he's pulled by Christian grace. He's come to understand the beauty of Christ. In fact, he tells us a couple of verses earlier in verse 10 that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Paul wants to know Christ. In fact, later on in this chapter, he'll talk about the fact that we are citizens of heaven. We eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus, to return from heaven. And when he returns, he will transform our lowly bodies that it may be conformed to his glorious body. He's not only desiring to know Christ now, he's desiring to be with Christ then. This is what's captured him. This is what pulls him forward day by day and week by week. The anticipation of knowing Jesus better day by day and then someday in the future experiencing him fully in glorification. That was the goal of his life. I press, verse 14, toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I want to be perfected after the likeness of Jesus. This is my goal. This is my tennis ball. This is my prize. And it pulls me through life. It gets me up in the morning. It gets me going through the day. It's my last thought at night. And so I want us to come and look at this because, as we've said, we're in a series called Life in Focus. A life in focus is a life focused on Christ who says he is life and he has come to give us it abundantly. In chapter 1, we see the philosophy of life, Christ our life. In chapter 2, the pattern of life, Christ our mind. And now in chapter 3, the prize of life, Christ our goal. So let's come and look at verses 12 through 16 of chapter 3. Now, I like what R. Kent Hughes says about these verses. They are an explosion of spiritual longing. They are an explosion of spiritual longing. Paul longs to be more in his walk with Christ. He wants to fully work out in his life that which God, by His grace, is working in him through the saving act of Jesus Christ. Go back to chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not just in my presence only, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for His good pleasure. The idea behind working out is to work out to completion. 
to work out to the maximum that is possible. So Paul is saying to them, you know what? You need to work out to a point of completion all that God has intended to do in your life through the saving life of Jesus. Paul's given himself to that. He's working out the redemptive purposes of God that are being worked in. And you know that God's saving work in us comes in three stages. There's justification, sanctification, and glorification. We are saved from the penalty of sin in justification. We are being saved from the power of sin in sanctification. And we will be saved from the presence of sin in glorification. We have been saved. We are being saved. We will be saved. Now, you need to keep the breadth of that in your mind because Paul is saying, I haven't yet laid hold of all that Christ has laid hold of me for. Now, I am saved. I have been saved because in chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, he talks about giving up any confidence in himself, his law-keeping, his self-righteousness, and he puts his faith alone in Jesus, and he says, here's my hope for the final day. I'm going to have a righteousness that's not my own, but comes by faith in Jesus Christ. My only hope on Judgment Day is the justifying grace of God that declares me righteous through faith in Christ. So you folks need to understand I am saved. I have been saved. But you know what? When you and I put our faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within and he begins to work out God's saving purposes. So the imputed righteousness that's been given to us will work itself out in practical righteousness. And we will begin to change from the inside out. And the old will pass away and the new will come. And we'll begin to stop doing the things we once did that was outside the will of God. And we will start to fulfill the Ten Commandments. We will fulfill the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we will begin to look more like the Lord Jesus day by day as He changes us. And we are being saved. And that's a process. Justification is a declaration. It's instantaneous. It's unchangeable. Sanctification changes all the time. And Paul is saying, I'm in that stage between justification and glorification. And you know what? I haven't yet grasped. I haven't yet taken in. I haven't yet experienced all that Jesus saved me to be. And I'm pursuing that. And here you have this explosion of spiritual longing that's actually embarrassing for most of us, isn't it, to read this? Because that's not where we're at. We're kind of happy with where we're at. We have settled down. We've accepted. You know, we're a little bit further on than we were a year or two ago. But where's the hunger? Where's the ambition? Where's the spiritual longing that marks the Apostle Paul some 25 years into his walk with God? Paul wants to cultivate the life of Christ from within. You know, he decided, according to verses 1 to 11, to count everything lost, that he might pursue and know and experience Christ. But you need to understand that that was only the beginning of a daily discipline. What he embraced on the road to Damascus was only the beginning. And he's been pursuing Christ ever since. He's not happy to sit on the threshold of God's saving action in Christ. That was not enough for Paul. I am justified, but I want to be increasingly sanctified so that when the moment comes and Jesus returns and I'm glorified, there's not a big gap. But he'll find me pursuing where I'm headed, which is holiness and Christ-likeness on that final day. 
Paul is exemplifying what the Hebrew writer talks about in Hebrews 6 verse 11. Let us go on to perfection. Now that we're saved, having received the Lord Jesus Christ, let us walk in him. Colossians 2 verse 6. Having been saved by grace, let us do those works that God has ordained us to do. Ephesians 2 verse 10. Paul didn't want to be a spiritual slow coach. I like what Paul Powell says. What the Apostle Paul is saying is essentially this. Don't stop short of your potential. Don't be satisfied with simply squeezing into the doors of the kingdom of God. Go beyond your initial experience of conversion and become all that God saved you to be. Beyond salvation, there is a vast new life that can be developed if you will work it out. He has this wonderful statement too. Salvation is germinal, not terminal in its experience. When you and I put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that was but the beginning. It was germinal, not terminal. The end of God's saving purposes in your life isn't for you to stick an insurance policy in the back of your pocket and go, well, you know what, I'm not going to hell, thank God. Well, thank God you're not going to hell. But he wants you also to taste heaven and to reflect heaven and to look like his son. I like the story of the, the little fellow who fell out of bed during the night and his mother heard the thump on the ground. She comes running in and asks what happened. And the little fellow replied, well, I think I stayed too close to where I got in. Well, you know, there's a whole lot of Christians like that. They stay too close to where they got in. To quote Paul Powell, who I just quoted, they squeeze through the doors into God's kingdom, and then they stand there twiddling their thumbs. He wants to save you from the penalty of sin. He wants to save you from the dominion of sin. And someday he will take you to a place where there is no sin. That's God's saving purposes. Now, where's the longing in your life and my life for more of that? Well, let's listen to Paul as he explains this. There's several things I want to see. First of all, you're taking notes as we look at this message, making progress. First of all, his dissatisfaction. The first thing that strikes you about this text is Paul's dissatisfaction. He's not happy with where he's at. He's not ready to call it quits in terms of what he has done for Christ and what Christ has done in him. Not that I have already attained. Okay? Or... I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal of Christ-likeness. Paul is saying, you know what? I have been apprehended. It's like a policeman's word. You know, some big copper puts his hand on your shoulder. You've been apprehended, seized, captured. There came a day in Paul's life where he was apprehended. When Christ changed him and made him a disciple and said, you know what, you're going to suffer many things and you're going to be an apostle to the Gentiles and take my gospel across the world. He was apprehended. And along with that calling to follow Christ in a particular manner through service, he was apprehended in the sense he was justified and now Christ had begun a work in him that would change him from the inside out that ultimately would finish at the day of Christ and his glorification. Paul understood that he had been apprehended to become like Christ and to take the message of Christ across the world. And he's telling us here, you know what? I am perfect in one sense, 
that my justification has given me a perfect standing before God. I have a righteousness that's not my own, and it's perfect. But here's what's not perfect. Here's what's unfinished. Here's what's incomplete. I'm still becoming all that God saved me to become. I haven't apprehended that yet. I haven't embraced all that Christ laid His hands on me to do. And so there's this dissatisfaction, this acknowledgement that He hasn't arrived spiritually. Now, that's a word to the perfectionist and to the libertine. Because there was a time in Paul's life outside of Christ where he thought he had reached the place of perfection. He says, according to the law, blameless. And there are people who will tell people, you can get to a state of perfection and blamelessness. And Paul says, no. I mean, on the one other hand, you've not only got the legalist and the perfectionist, you've got the libertine who says, well, you know what? Since Jesus died for our sins and Jesus paid it all, I don't have to do anything. And so we read about those later on in this chapter who mind earthly things and make a God of their belly and don't discipline their lives. And it's all grace. And there's no effort, no pursuit, no repenting. And Paul's saying to both of these people, hey, I haven't arrived. I'm not perfect, but I'm pressing on. So on the one hand, I'm not perfect, so he's not a perfectionist. On the other hand, I'm pressing on. He's not a libertine either. And Paul is addressing that issue and letting people know theologically that he hasn't arrived. There are still dead spots and blind spots in his walk with God. And I, folks, practically now, this is where the rubber hits the road. Paul is encouraging us, because he's exemplifying it here, to cultivate a holy discontentment about your Christian life. He uses language here of dissatisfaction and discontentment, that which is unfinished. Not that I have already attained, nor am already perfect. I do not count myself to have apprehended. No, but Paul is pressing on the upward way, new heights he's gaining every day. There's never a time in Paul's life where he hits the brakes on his walk with God. He doesn't spend any time polishing his medals. He's too busy securing the next spiritual victory. He's got plans. Paul lived under, as one writer says, the conviction that God had a purpose for his life. Though he does not use the term, it is clearly implied in the phrase that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of me. The Lord Jesus had taken hold of his life for a purpose, and now Paul is pursuing that purpose of Christ-likeness. He's dissatisfied with where he's at. He wants to be more And that's why he keeps pressing forward. It's the picture of the athlete straining to cross the finish line with every ounce of energy available. Paul's not letting up. Paul's not slowing down. Paul's saying that the next lap is going to be faster than the last lap. He's committed to giving a better and more sustained effort in pursuing Christ. There's a dissatisfaction here. Then there's a lot Paul could be satisfied with. He's an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has been given revelations of heaven and been there in spirit, not in body, unlike almost anyone else. He has planted churches in Asia and in Europe. He's written probably the greatest treaties in the gospel in the letter to the Romans. He has stood before kings and princes. I mean, this man's resume is bulging with spiritual significance. But he's saying, hey, I haven't attained I haven't got there. I haven't arrived. I'm not happy with where I'm at. The next lap is going to be faster than the last lap. When I was doing a study on contentment, I read a book by a Puritan called Thomas Watson, The Art of Divine Contentment. Excellent book. 
And then while he's talking about contentment, he said there are some things in our lives we need to be discontent about. And he gives three areas of discontentment. Number one, he says, be discontent if you're in your natural state. And what he means by that is if, if you're in Adam and not in Christ, if you've had one birth and not two births, if you haven't come to faith in Jesus Christ, don't stay there. Don't be content. Don't be happy until you have got saved, been born again, and come to faith in Jesus Christ. Now is the day of salvation. Don't be content to stay in your natural state. For if you die in your sin where Jesus is, you cannot be. So get to the cross as soon as you can. Number two, he says, be discontent with a condition that dishonors God. This time he's addressing the Christian. He says, look, you know what? I want you to think about your life. If you know you're in a pattern of behavior or committed to a course of action that's outside the will of God, that dishonors God in word and in deed, then you need to be discontent with that, repent of it, and stop doing it. But then his third thing is what we're at here in Philippians 3, verses 12 to 16. He says, be discontent with little grace. You know, don't spend your Christian life in the shallow end of the pool. Don't settle for little grace. Yes, you have been saved, but are you being saved? Is Jesus forming in your life? Has he affected your words, your thoughts, your dress, the spending of your money, your entertainment choices, the way you raise your family, the way you submit to your husband, the way you love your wife? Tell me, is he affecting any of that increasingly? He ought to, because you should never settle for little grace. Paul's not. 25 years or or more into his walk with God. I mean, in fact, in this letter and other letters, you get the impression once he gets out of his imprisonment, according to Romans, where's he going? He's going to Spain. Like, I'm going to march off the map for Jesus Christ. Hold on a minute, Paul. Hey, you know what? You've earned a bit of a break. Let some other young guy step up now, you know? No, none, none of it. No foot on the brake. He's got his foot on the accelerator. I'm still pressing on. I want more. Listen, you and I need to cultivate a spirit of discontentment, holy discontentment about our prayer lives, our study of the Word of God, our church involvement, our giving, our witnessing. The most satisfied Christians are those who are most dissatisfied with where they're at with God. And they're always wanting more and pursuing Him in a greater fashion. That's the way it ought to be in your life and in my life. Desiring more of God is not a problem because God wants to give us more. You're listening to Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy and another message from our Life in Focus series. You can find the complete study online at ktt.org. Purchase the entire series on CD or download individual messages free of charge. Know the Truth delivers clear, expository Bible teaching daily on the radio and 24-7 on the web. You can also add the KTT app to your mobile device for listening anytime, anywhere. And we've always got our eyes out for quality resources that will encourage, engage, and challenge your personal study beyond these daily broadcasts. So today, when you give to support the ministry of Know the Truth, we'd like to send you a book titled, Not God Enough by J.D. Greer. In this book, you'll see that a God who is safe and small, a God who thinks like we think and acts like us, well, that's no God at all. The truth is, God is bigger than words can describe, grander than we can imagine, and wiser than all human wisdom. And He invites us to know Him. 
So get this book, Not God Enough, and discover the true God of the Bible and the Creator of all things. Just call in your donation to 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. And of course, you can also write to us at Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. Now, if you're new to Know the Truth, we'd also like to send you an entirely free resource. It's a highly requested message titled, Why Does God Allow Us to Suffer? Learn how our big God has greater purposes than we can see at first glance. Request this free CD message online at ktt.org. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd, wishing you a wonderful weekend. Come back next week as we continue the series, Life in Focus. That's Monday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. You are not stuck with your health care plan. Really, you have a choice, and it's a great one. It's called MediShare, and if you've heard about it and wondered what exactly it is, it's a way that people share their health care bills, and these are people who have a common faith, who want to be part of something beautiful that not only meets their health care needs, but the needs of others, too, and it's people who love to save money big time. MediShare members typically save $500 a month per family on their health care costs. That is a life changer for people. So this could be for you. Maybe it's what you've been looking for, a way to pay health care bills that's not only very smart financially, but it's even profound. MediShare is a nonprofit with 400,000 members nationwide who pray for and share with each other. So yes, you're not stuck. There's another way, and it could save you a lot. Find out more. Call 844-41-BIBLE. That's 844-41-BIBLE. 844-41-BIBLE. And a three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.